Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why some 40,000 homes in the capital city could be without water for three days. Uh, I'm going to be affected by it, and it's not really, I'm not really happy about it, but I got to do what I got to do for the people to be safe, for, for the eating, for the utensils to be clean. So we got to stop our cooking and hopefully be back up as soon as possible. Plus, the latest on a fatal bus crash in Biloxi that left four passengers dead. Then, white supremacy and the state flag. And more on new domestic violence language that could soon become law. That's all coming up. Plus, a health minute with Dr. Rick DeShazo. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The city of Jackson is shutting off water to portions of the area all the way to Byram. Crews will begin repairing a major water line Friday afternoon and continue through Sunday. City officials think they can repair the leaks over the weekend, but officials are preparing for the worst-case scenario should it take longer. Brandon Falcon is the City of Jackson Emergency Management Officer. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the need for repairs was uncovered during an attempted fix in February. We have a 40-inch main water line that uh, goes around the 220 corridor and feeds most of our South Jackson. And what we've experienced, because it is uh, stressed concrete, we have a deterioration spot that has created a water leak. And we have two collateral spots that have actual breaks that we have to do. And it's caused us to have to do some preventive maintenance and maintain and re, redo this line in these three break spots that are about three miles apart so that we can continue our water supply efforts to the city. What happened February 10th? We went in to fix the spurting water main leak, and when we got down there, we found two collateral leaks. And were people without water during that period? Yes, we did experience some folks that had uh, no water. How many were impacted? We don't have an exact number on that. We have a map where our uh, 311 citizens called and did. Those were around two to 300 calls. But MEMA estimates that there may be 40,000 people that have some effect. So you're saying that the people that were impacted last time will be impacted again? Most definitely. That, uh, we're, we're, we're going with that vein that if you were uh, affected last time, you will be affected this time. And what areas of the, the city will be impacted that you know of at this point? Uh, the southeast Jackson Corridor. We're, we're, we're drawing a really large map of an affected area, but it really boils down to south of Northside Drive, east of 220, and all the way to Byram going south on the 55 Corridor. And so you'll be shutting off the water for how many days? We're going to be shutting it off Friday at 3 o'clock. And we anticipate opening it back up sometime Sunday morning, but it could be sooner or it could be later. What are you recommending people do to prepare for this? Well, we would 
suggest that if you can buy bottled water, uh, fill up your bathtubs, uh, five-gallon buckets, or any type of water storage so that you may uh, utilize flushing your toilets. So North Jackson won't see a problem with this? It did not last time. But you can't guarantee it? That's correct. So what are you telling restaurants, uh, hospitals to do? So the hospitals, uh, because of their unique nature, most of them have their own well system. So they're going to be less less affected than restaurants. We, we're hoping that you know that they're preparing just like the rest of the citizens are, so that we don't uh, affect them in a bad way. So if this leak is fixed, the three leaks are fixed. Is it possible it could cause another leak? Anything's possible. Everybody within the city of Jackson should sign up for Code Red today. What is Code Red? Code Red is our alert system. We're going to be doing push-out alerts to alert all citizenry of the updates of the water system. How do you sign up? Go to the city's website, click on the Code Red button, and give the information that you want the information to come to. Like, put your cell phone number in or your email address or whatever, however you want to be contacted. Thank you very much. Brandon Falcon is the emergency management officer for the city of Jackson. Ricky Moore is the emergency management director for Hines County. He tells our Desiree Frazier the county will be standing by to assist the capital city. Well, we'll have some uh, volunteer tankers stationed in the city to uh, help with firefighting in the, in the affected areas. Uh, uh, we've been asked by Jackson Fire to supplement their forces, bringing in some uh, three and 4,000 gallon water tanks to help the city. We'll be monitoring it. We'll be uh, constantly in touch with uh, Brandon Falcon with the city, and whatever his needs are, then we'll step up and uh, try to supplement those. Is this the type of thing that any county in the state would have to deal with if they had a city that was uh, experiencing a similar problem? Absolutely. Uh, Just had it last week, or this week, Port Gibson. You know, they were without water for for 12 hours. They had a malfunction of of a pump. Our infrastructure statewide is is getting older in in a lot of the cities. So uh, any one of these cities could have the same issue. Back when I talked to Mr. Smithson, Director Smithson, about this a couple of weeks ago, this is a good plan for them to use statewide. So it's a good exercise for them also. And a lot of questions that we've uh, put to them, they've got answers to now. This affects a lot of state offices downtown, so it's, it's a good exercise. It's a good learning experience. Of course, Jackson has had water outages in 89 from a freeze. They had it in uh, 2010 from a freeze, so we've done this before. It's just this is a planned one this time, and we can prepare a little bit better for it. What were your concerns when you talked to Mima about this? There was a thing called catastrophic failure that was mentioned at the front of this uh, a couple of weeks ago. We need to make sure that if the city has a catastrophic failure, then we have a plan. If the city does this in their 48-hour, then they won't need all those assets. But if you heard the colonel or Mr. Smithson say uh, the governor's ready to sign that if it's needed, uh, that's that catastrophic failure. So all those pieces of the puzzle are in place if we do have that failure. You know, in any disaster, we try to get people to be able to be prepared on their own for 72 hours. Having that emergency kit, uh, bottled water is a basic need. So people still got plenty of time. They got three more days to get out, go to the stores. Uh, There's plenty of water on the shelves. So we're ready for it. Just hope for the best. 
Hines County Emergency Management Director Ricky Moore. Businesses and residents are making adjustments as Jackson prepares to cut off water to thousands for three days. Sandeep Ball is the owner of Star Food Store in Jackson. He explains his business plans for the weekend to MPB's Desiree Fraser. I've heard that uh, from Friday from 3.30 p.m. to Sunday that we're going to have a shortage or no water at all due to the Jackson water system. And they're supposed to call me back on Monday to let me know if it's back up again. Now, you have a convenience store here and you sell food. Yes, ma'am, I do. But uh, I'm going to be affected by it. And it's not really, I'm not really happy about it, but I got to do what I got to do for the people to be safe and for, for the eating, for the utensils to be clean. So we got to stop our cooking and hopefully be back up as soon as possible. Now, you said the health department contacted you about this. Yes, ma'am. They contacted me about an hour ago, and they told me that it's going to be um, low water pressure or no water at all. I chose the option not to cook at all so that it would be just safe and sound. What are your um, concerns? Any others besides that? Because you have to flush your toilets, you have a restroom, that kind of thing. Well, my concern is that, uh, I mean, it's been going on for a while now. I've heard on the news for the last couple weeks, and hopefully they could fix this time and get over it, and I don't have to do with it again. Do you lose money when this happens? Yes, I do lose money because I cook chicken and pizza, and we do have a slushy machine here, so I'm going to be losing probably around 1000 maybe 2000 over the weekend. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Sandeep Ball is the owner of Star Food Stores in Jackson. The city will distribute bottled water at three locations starting Friday. In other news, four people have died, 35 others injured after a train crashed into a charter bus in downtown Biloxi. MPB's Evelina Burnett reports officials are still investigating why the bus was on the railroad tracks. The charter bus from Austin, Texas had about 50 people on board. It was traveling from the Hollywood Casino in Bay St. Louis to Biloxi's Boomtown Casino Tuesday afternoon when it appears to have gotten stuck on the railroad crossing at Main Street in downtown Biloxi. City spokesman Vincent Creel says there have been issues at this intersection in the past, though it has signage warnings of a steep grade and crossing lights and gates. He says why the bus got stuck will likely be the focus of a federal and local investigation. Obviously, NTSB is going to be here, federal investigators, as well as our local investigators, as well as some from CSX are no doubt going to be looking at this. But I do not know why it was uh, lodged on the tracks. Emergency responders from around the area were called to the scene. Biloxi Fire Chief Joe Boney. We had departments from all over the coast uh, here to help us. We quickly got the victims uh, removed. We have 30, I think there were 35 victims transported to the hospital, either by ambulance or helicopter. Officials said it's not clear yet if the bus had some kind of mechanical trouble, but this intersection has had issues in the past. According to the Federal Railroad Administration, there have been 16 accidents or incidents at this crossing since 1976, two of them fatal. Evelina Burnett, MPB News. Coming up, we'll have the latest in a lawsuit against the Mississippi state flag. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. 
The Home Show is back at the Mississippi Trademark this weekend, March 10th through the 12th, and the host of the Handyman Hangout, Fixing 101, will be there taking care of business. Come hang out with Jeff, Dale, and Jason and see what's new in DIY and home renovations. That's the Home Show this weekend at the Trademark, and be sure to listen to Fixing 101 every Wednesday, 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A lawyer for an African-American man from Mississippi says the state's flag sends a message of white supremacy. He made that argument before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans yesterday based on the Confederate battle emblem on the state flag. The plaintiff is Carlos Moore. A judge dismissed Moore's lawsuit in September, saying he lacked legal standing. Moore's attorney, Michael Scott, tells MPB's Ezra Wall about Moore's position. Well, his feelings about it are derived from the history of that flag. Uh, It was adopted in 1894 to be the Jim Crow banner of Mississippi. Looking at it makes him feel like he's a second-class citizen in the eyes of the state. It's a demeaning message to every African-American in the state. And um, he's got a six-year-old daughter who's just beginning school. And the law in Mississippi is that she shall be taught about that flag. She shall be taught to respect it. And the combination of of that for his daughter and his own experience having to look at that flag day in, day out. And he's a lawyer. So, you know, he goes into courtrooms where, where sometimes he's actually serving as a prosecutor on the side of the government. And he has to do his work under that flag And it's very disconcerting, very disturbing, very unpleasant, uh, very demeaning. So voters decided to keep the the state flag in 2001. Why not uh, go a more traditional route uh, by supporting like a ballot initiative or or some effort like that? Why put efforts into this specific kind of legal activity? Well, you know, after the murders in Charleston in, in June of 2015, South Carolina, in very short order, realized they couldn't keep flying that flag. And there were some people in Mississippi who realized the same thing, and they made a legislative effort to change the flag. Unfortunately, it failed, and it it has failed repeatedly ever since. The reality is sinking in that the Mississippi majority is not going to change that flag unless they have to. And majority doesn't have the final say on everything. If, If the majority of citizens want it, Uh, to continue all sorts of racial discrimination. Uh, I suppose they would, Uh, but the Equal Protection Clause is there. It's been there since 1867 for the very purpose of preventing the majority from having its way when it comes to racial discrimination. And by racial discrimination, I don't just mean you can't vote, you can't go to school. I mean the state espousing a position of white supremacy, which is what that flag was adopted for and what it stands for in the eyes of most people who think about its history. So uh, what's the next step in this case? The, you've, you've argued before the, the Fifth Circuit, the o- opening arguments. What, what happens now? Well, we argued before three judges this morning, and the issue was, uh, was Judge Reeves right or wrong when he said Carlos Moore did not have the right to challenge that flag in a federal court. And the Fifth Circuit, those three judges, will make a decision. Uh, They could make it next week. They could make it 
four months from now. It's always hard to predict, and it's very hard to predict how they'll come out. Certainly, all three judges on the panel, two of whom were from Mississippi, certainly were well prepared. They had read the briefs, they had read the cases, and they had tough questions for both sides. They'll decide whether they're standing, period. Um, and if, there's, if there is standing, if they decide, we'll go back to Judge Reeves. If they decide there's not standing, well, we'll probably go to the Supreme Court, or at least try to. Mike Scott is the attorney representing Carlos Moore before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in, uh, in Moore versus Governor Bryant. Uh, Mr. Scott, thank you very much for joining us today and for offering your perspective on this subject. Thank you for having me on. Governor Phil Bryant says if anyone reconsiders the flag, it should be the voters. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Spring is almost here. In fact, the grass pollen is already here, and people are starting to sneeze and wheeze from the spring allergies to grass pollen and tree pollen. Fortunately, most of the medicines that are so effective in treating symptoms from allergic rhinitis, also known as hay fever, are now over-the-counter. You just need to use them early enough for them to be effective. There are three second-generation antihistamines that are non-sedative, that are very, very effective, and are available for use in children as well as adults by the manufacturer's label. These are cetirizine, loratadine, and phenoxyphenidine, and they're all marked as such. If you're not sure, ask your pharmacist. They're all together, and they're all generic. We recommend you take an antihistamine once a day like a vitamin during your allergy season to control symptoms. For folks who have more persistent symptoms, topical nasal steroids are a great add-on and can be used on an as-needed basis. These are drugs like mometazone, fluticasone, and triamcinolone, also available over-the-counter, one to two sprays in each side of the nose twice a day. And follow the manufacturer's instructions about how to use these because they have to be pointed in the right direction to be helpful. You've got great things to help you with hay fever this year. Just be aware that they're available. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Survivors of domestic violence may soon find it easier to get divorced in Mississippi. An amendment to Senate Bill 2680 would change the language used to describe cruel and inhuman treatment, one of Mississippi's 12 allowable grounds for divorce. The amendment was proposed by Representative Andy Gibson, a Republican from Braxton. Gibson had come under fire last week for refusing to consider a bill in his committee that would have added domestic violence as a 13th grounds for divorce. He talks with MPB's Mark Rigsby about the new amendment and why he didn't take up the original bill last week. 
Domestic violence, domestic abuse is already a ground for divorce in Mississippi. Has been for over 100 years. People have been divorced for that very reason. And uh, it's been around so long that the Supreme Court has actually issued a series of cases saying what is abuse, what is not. The problem I identified in talking to some of these ladies uh, over the course of a week or so, the problem is the judge in their local county wouldn't grant a divorce for the type of abuse they were experiencing. Even though the Supreme Court said that they should, the, the law was not being applied equally across the board, from county to county, from judge to judge. So that led me to conclude, and I had to thank the, the women who called me uh, to, to, to thank them publicly for talking with me and telling me what happened, what the reality was. They knew it was a ground for divorce, but they couldn't get it because the judge wouldn't grant it. So the issue was the application of the law by the judges. So we worked with a group here in the House that was interested in this issue to craft a new uh, evidentiary-based solution, which clarifies the types of abuse that a judge would look at and say, that is the habitual cruel and inhuman treatment standard, and standards of proof for that. And uh, gotten broad support, it passed the House unanimously, and it addresses the underlying issue rather than the surface issue of adding a couple of words that some judge would have had to interpret somewhere. The Senate bill, as it came to us, would not have done anything to help women, uh, our children in abusive situations. Our bill does. Can you give us your position on the criticism that you've received? Well, I can just tell you the truth, that neither of those people came to ask me to pass this bill at any time, before the deadline or after the deadline. One lobbyist who came to see me about it told me privately that the, that bill really didn't do anything. It was more of a PR campaign. And that's when I decided I wasn't taking this bill up. I didn't get elected to come up here and play games. I came up here to make a difference. And, uh, you know, any man that beats a woman isn't worthy to be called a man, much less a husband. And it doesn't do anybody a bit of good to pass something that just restates what the law already is. What we've done is actually taking a step back, took a little more time, researched it, identified the real problem, and passed a real solution. What is the next step in the process for what you have proposed? It has gone to the Senate. I don't think anybody held it on a motion to reconsider, but it will be transmitted now back to the Senate. I've already contacted the Senate chairman. And to Chairman Tyndall's credit, he and I did talk about this before the deadline. I committed to him to research this and to work with him on it. And I've done what I said I was going to do. Uh, he is committed to work with us on the new language, and I'm confident that uh, we're going to pass this into law this year for the first time in Mississippi history. And do you think uh, not only will it be uh, the mechanism uh, to address the domestic violence divorce issue, but do you think it will make everyone happy the way that it's written? You know, nothing we do in the legislature is going to make everybody happy. Uh, there is no such thing as a perfect piece of legislation. That's why we have conference reports. That's why we have further negotiations. I think it can be even further refined. But uh, what it does do, it addresses the, the real problem that the domestic violence advocates brought to me, which is our judges are not following the law. It addresses that directly. It gives real and immediate relief to domestic violence victims. And I think it's a long-term solution.
And if I could add, I think it's a solution we can apply in other contexts where judges may not be always following the exact standards that they should be following. Child abuse and neglect, criminal justice sentences, a whole host of these issues that we really do need uniformity from county to county across our state. And finally, I, I can tell you're very passionate uh, about uh, this issue what, when you're speaking yeah. uh, on it. Any hard feelings about the, I, the, the amount of criticism and, and how things have uh, basically been up until this point about this issue? I have suffered criticism like that since I've been in this position. I am used to it. I expect it. I knew this was going to happen. But I have made the decision not to go to that level of incivility. Uh, it is a problem that is driven, I think, by social media. It's the reality of the world that we live in. And we've lost something very important in our democracy, and that is a civil dialogue, a conversation. I hope we can get that back in Mississippi and in America. MPB's Mark Rigsby with Representative Andy Gibson. He is the Republican State House Representative from Rankin County. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. At 9 o'clock, Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.